and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, uh, if you're new, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here, and I would love to meet you after the service. Uh, I'll be by the front door, but not real close to the front door uh, today, but uh, I'm usually there Uh, So, and uh, can you hear that ring? Okay, there you go. All right. I want us to remember what our mission is before we get started here at Bentry. It's this, growing together into deep-rooted disciples of Christ Jesus. That's our goal. Uh, We want to see spiritual growth. That's what we Do here. That's why I say bring your Bibles each week, right? Uh, That God would grow us into the people He intended us to be individually and as a church, and we grow into spiritual uh, adults, if you will. Now, that spiritual fruit, that that spiritual maturity shows in how we treat each other, take care of each other, not just being nice, but serving and loving each other. How we live out our faith in this world. And that is the second part of the idea of growing together into deep-rooted disciples of Christ. It means growing the number of people in this church. And you go, Paul, but we like each other. We like it this size. But here's the deal. There's a lot of lost people in Colorado. And it's our job to take the gospel to them. It's God's job to save them. Our job is to take the message. Amen? So God wants to grow this church body in spiritual depth, but also in numbers of people. Uh, Well, let's get back into John chapter 8. I haven't been up here since uh, Christmas Eve, so it's good to be preaching. Uh, I loved having uh, our brother Wade preach last week and Pastor Hal the week before. Thank you guys. They did amazing. Don't we have a great team of uh, speakers here? Let's thank God for them. Yeah. Golf clap. There you go. (laughs) Golf clap. Very good. Okay. Here we is. Here it is. If you've been with us very long, you'll notice that sometimes um, we don't get very much further in the text uh, because we have to stop and drill down in a specific area. Uh, Today is that kind of day. We want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is really teaching here. Now, I need to warn you, not many preachers preach on the topic that I'm preaching on today. Uh, They used to back in the day, not so much now, and I'm not going to tell you what it is just yet. I I want you to kind of discover it from the text. I'll tell you here in just a few minutes, but I want you to kind of discover it from the text. You heard our brother Dave read that, and if you'll remember from our last time together, we really studied these conversations between Jesus and these religious Jewish leaders while there were, uh, Jesus points out that he is from God the Father, but then he drops the bomb on the Jewish leaders, uh, on the Jewish leaders in these verses. Now listen how Jesus asked these religious leaders a question. And then he's going to answer the question. Because you remember when God asks a question, he's not looking for information. He's looking to see if you know. Here it is, John 8, 43 through 44. It says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Hint, hint. 
And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a, li- he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, when you accuse someone that they are a child of the devil, well, let's just say that tends to make them rather upset. I would have loved to have seen the look on these guys' faces. Uh, they had this self-righteousness, you know, and they're, they're in their nice clothes. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? I mean, no one talked to these false leaders this way, but Jesus did. So it's not the least bit surprising that the leaders pick up stones just a few minutes later after this and try to kill him, stoning him to death. Now, this is also not a surprise to Jesus that he has offended their pride. He's been pointing that out the whole conversation. He just laid some serious truth on them, and he meant to. This always is a challenge, I tell you, of this topic, and you're starting to see what it is. For preachers to preach this in God's word, you've heard me say time and time again that the gospel message is inherently offensive to us. Uh, And it can be scary at the same time. And yet, preachers, we always are trying to be good salesmen, right? We, we want to make a message more appealing, less offensive. Uh, like the last thing we want to do is to make people uncomfortable, at least on the natural level, that's what preachers wanted, like me too. Like, I think sometimes we think if we could dress the message of the gospel up in some, you know, nicer clothes taking kind of the sharp, offensive message off the gospel, take the edge off. Like a good salesman, preachers often try to take the sting out of the gospel of what Jesus says. Have you seen that? But the problem comes then in taking the meaning out of what Jesus is saying as well. So a few years ago, I was asked to open the Colorado legislature with prayer. A great honor as I was getting ready. It was their first First day, everybody's there in the Colorado house. And as I got ready, I polished my belt buckle, put my nice jeans on. And, and I got there and I'm ready to pray. Bibi and I were there. The coordinator that worked with the Speaker of the House came over for some, just some last minute instructions. I was kind of nervous, you know. And she said, first thing, don't say anything offensive. And I was going like, what does she think I'm going to say? But uh, she said, especially don't mention the name Jesus. Because that that name is so triggering for people. Uh, And she said, don't mention anything like the word sin and don't mention the word devil or or Satan. And I said, uh, listen, if you get me, you get Jesus because I work for the guy. Um, and and I, I'm going to pray. Um, they didn't ask me back. Um, because Jesus, Jesus is controversial. He said things like, go and sin no more. And things like, you guys are slaves to sin. And right here where he said, these guys, uh, is your, your father is Satan. That's offensive. Jesus tells us the truth. There are some things that are worth offending others over, not because you hate people, not because you hate people, but rather because you love them. You want them to know the truth about what the Bible actually says. The goal is not to be 
offensive. The goal is just to tell the truth of the gospel message. And that is what Jesus does, especially about sin and why we sin and the root of our sin, the evilness in us, the evilness in the world. And you probably get what we're talking about here. It's right here that we find some of the clearest teaching on the devil. The truth that God is not the father of all men. Now hear me out. You might have guessed from our passage what we've been talking about. That that what I want to drill down on is this topic Jesus brings up of who Satan is. Or as our ESV labels him, the devil. I'll be switching back between those terms. I've got to tell you that for me, the temptation as a preacher is I just want to skip this passage. Uh, but the problem is we preach verse by verse here. Most of the time we, we just go verse by verse and you can't skip hard passages. It focuses on the uncomfortable, uncomfortable topics. And baby, this can be uncomfortable And Satan is one of those uncomfortable topics, especially in today's culture. Is it not? I mean, we learned last time, this is, this is when we were talking in John 8. I mean, this is back right before Thanksgiving. So you'll have to go way back uh, to when we are picking this up from. We learned last time that although all men, all women are image bearers of God, they are made by God. We found that Jesus said, that not all are children of God. And more harsh truth than that, Jesus points out that these guys, these religious leaders, that some are actually children of the devil. That's Jesus' words. You're either a son of God by faith in the son of God or the son of the devil, the daughter of the devil. Now that's uncomfortable to say the least. <laughs> And it's right here in verse 44 that Jesus gives us some key information we're going to drill down on uh, of who he is, Jesus is, and what he is capable of, uh, of who Satan is and what he is capable of. And more importantly, I would say, what he's not capable of. You see, because this topic, Satan, is so uncomfortable to talk about, a lot of Christians have a a distorted view of what the Bible says and doesn't say. It's easy to simply skip over verses like John 8:44, but we don't want to do that. So let's get some terms down here. Satan goes by several names in the Bible. He goes by the devil, uh, Satan, the great dragon, the deceiver, Lucifer, uh, Beelzebub. But let's look at this name given here um, by Jesus in verse 44. In the Greek, the name is pronounced Diablos. You've heard that before. Diablos. It means this. An enemy, an adversary, accuser. Accuser. Now have you filling in that, that name there, accuser, because this is where we live a lot of times. Where we get accused of our sin. Now, we're not trying to get a total study of Satan. I don't mean to that. We're not doing a series right here. But to drill down on what Jesus says about him in John 8, specifically in verse 44. To begin with, Jesus tells us there there is a being named the devil. He's He's real, 
Not a creation out of someone's mind. Jesus speaks of Satan not as an abstract idea of evil like so many have tried to paint him, especially in recent times. Satan is not described as just kind of summation of all the bad things in the world and we just put a label on all the summation of those bad things. No, Jesus speaks of him by name. He knows him. And notice Jesus uh, describes him with the personal pronoun he. Now listen, I'm not somehow blind to the idea that most of the world and certainly the culture we live in doesn't think that he's real. And yet the Bible and Jesus know him to be very real. But the idea that he is just some kind of legend like Bigfoot is one of the key tools the devil uses to convince the world that he's not real. Which is a pretty cool trick if you think about it, especially noting all the evil in the world. I mean, talk about war, lying, rape, uh, poverty, pain, murder, cancer, death. By the way, every once in a while, I meet someone... Maybe you you come across this. They say, I, I don't think evil is a real thing. And I just usually tell them, what I would suggest you do is just walk for a week in the shoes of a policeman or an ER doctor or a nurse or a fireman or a social worker or a public school teacher and see if you still think that after a week or walk baby in my Boots, Because, brothers and sisters, I've been in the presence of evil on more than one occasion. But most of the world has convinced itself there is no one called the devil or things called fallen angels or what we refer to as demons. But Jesus said there are demons and there is a chief demon named the devil or Satan. What I find interesting is that when I was a kid, people shied away from things that spoke or claimed evil. I'm just talking about society, not even in church. They just didn't talk about evil things that much. I mean, Halloween didn't really have a ton of things like goblins and evil stuff and talk about the dead. But now that stuff comes out really everywhere, doesn't it? Um, evil is out of the closet because people think it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Our culture even celebrates death and music and films I mean, like celebrating death's symbols. If they do that, I think their thought is, well, then if I can joke about it, it's not real. I think Satan loves that. I do. Uh, Bibi and I were in a store up in Breckenridge. Y'all like Breckenridge? I love Breckenridge. Breckenridge is the bomb. Uh, we were back there a couple of months ago. I was looking in one of our stores we look in as a home goods store, they sell decorations and stuff. And um, <clears throat> I hate shopping. And, but I love my wife. And so I go, and God created the iPhone for me. And so I sit out and use it. But there was some cool stuff to look at. I always gravitate towards books. Anybody else like to look at books? Yeah, I always gravitate to books. There's some pretty cool books over there. I thought, picture books. And I looked on them. Um, and as we, I was thumbing through, and it's a beautiful picture. It was, it was how to cast spells um, and practice witchcraft. It sounded harmless, like, you know, like how to have a good life, how to be happy, books of spells that you could learn to cast on yourself or on your friends, help you sleep better, how to fall in love, to be happy. Books by witches, I mean, they were going, yeah, these witches, they had 
They had candles that had spells cast on the candle that you could light to get rid of the negative spirits in the room. I thought, boy, do you realize there are only two teams in the spiritual world and this ain't the good one. There were tarot cards there uh, for you finding your truth. You could do those. And the Bible calls that divination, by the way. Uh, that kind of stuff is coming out in popular areas all over. And this is a great story, usually. I mean, witchcraft, Satanism are real religions that play and practice some evil stuff. Ancient pagan religions are on the rise. Druidism, paganism, Baalism is back. Interesting note, there is a close link. I don't know if you've noticed this, between cults and sexual sin, including, including, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but Mormonism is based on sexual promiscuity as well as Islam. Uh, But for most people, if you try to say, like Jesus did, that Satan is a real foe, they get this little picture of a little dude in a long-handled red underwear suit, right? With a pitchfork and tail and horns. Most people laugh at that kind of picture of Satan. Just so you know, that popular picture of Satan isn't from the pages of the Bible. It's not. But while we laugh at a creature in long-handled red underwear, this Satan described in the Bible is doing his work. He has a strategy for sure. He is at work in this world. And while everyone is laughing at the popular concept of him, he's at work. Now, should we be worried as Christians about Satan? The answer is no. But we should be vigilant. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Three things the Apostle Paul says here. First, like Jesus, he believes Satan to be a real foe that Christians face. So write this down. Satan is a real foe, a real enemy that Christians face as we follow Christ Jesus. He is a real foe that Christians face as we follow Christ Jesus. And this is probably even more important here. Is that Satan is trying to outwit believers. What we mean is this. Satan can't make Christians unsaved. He cannot cause us to lose our salvation. Did you hear me? But what he can do is to outwit us. He can cause us to become ineffective as a light for Christ in this world. Now write this down. It's a lot of stuff to write down. Satan's goal for Christians is to make them ineffective in following Christ Jesus. Satan's goal for Christians is to make them ineffective in following Christ Jesus. Now don't get me wrong. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy us. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10.10. The thief, referring to Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. And we have to realize that. We have to be on guard. That brings up the third thing. Write this down. 
Christians must be on guard, watching for Satan's schemes. Schemes. When I played football in high school, I was, I was not very good. I've said that uh, although I could not catch, I was really slow as well. And so I loved playing though, but one of the things we did on defense is we would do schemes. Like we were trying to, to fake out the offense. Are, are we going to go for the sack? Are we going to go past, you know, we're, we're trying to, trying to, Kind of trick them into doing something. So we want to be on guard watching for Satan's schemes. We have to be on guard watching for his designs on how he's trying to trick us. Because that's his power is the lie. He's not just against us personally, but he's against our families, against our community, certainly against our church, our churches, and even our nation. We see that, Dolly. We see it firsthand. The word designs in 2 Corinthians, in some translations, it translates schemes, meaning to trick. Since Satan doesn't have power, he doesn't have authority over believers since we are in Christ Jesus. He is forced to try to trick us into doing his will. And listen to me, he wants us to agree with him. For unbelievers, the goal of Satan is to blind men's minds so he keeps them for himself. Talking about unbelievers. The goal of Satan for unbelievers is to blind men's and women's eyes to keep them for himself. If Satan can convince people, Christians or unbelievers, that he doesn't exist, he has an advantage. If he can use that popular picture of a guy in a red underwear suit, he doesn't seem real. The problem there is that Jesus says there is a being called the devil. Look with me at what Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 13 as he teaches his disciples to pray. He says this. You remember this right at the end? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Bibi and I pray this every night. Before we go to bed, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Many transcripts translate that word evil, though. This is going to creep you out. Do you know what it says? Here it is. as the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Creepy, isn't it? That's Jesus saying that, by the way. And you'll remember... In the parable Jesus gives of the sower of the seed, we find in Matthew 6, 19. This is a parable. Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, I put in the devil, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So, if Jesus believes Satan is a real being and our spiritual enemy... Shouldn't we? So then that begs the question, who is Satan? Where did he come from? What Jesus is referring to here is what is described, you can look at it another time, is Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. We're not going to go there, uh, we're not going to go in depth there, that's just kind of reference for you. But here's what it says, basically, Satan is a fallen angel. He used to be an angel He is a fallen angel now. We refer to them as demons. 
Jesus does this by teaching about Satan in John 8, our passage for today. So let's take a look at John 8, specifically the second part of verse 44. He, Satan, Jesus says, was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. This is key in understanding. Jesus describes Satan here. If you look at Isaiah and Ezekiel, you'll find that Satan fell from a great height. Or another way to say it is Satan fell to a great depth. That'd be where we live. Jesus describes Satan in verse 44. He says, Satan does not stand in the truth. Or you could say Satan has no truth in what he represents. That's an important clue because for a believer, what did we just say is the only weapon Satan can wield against us? Lies. Did you get that? And that is the very next thing Jesus says in the last sentence of verse 44. When he, Satan, lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's critical that we understand this As believers, there is someone who is going to lie to you about why you are facing what you're facing in life. And yet, most people simply reject not only Satan is trying to persuade them to actively choose to do wrong things in life, they don't even believe that there is anyone tempting them anyway. What is strangely fascinating to me is that the ones who do believe in Satan and even worship him make him out to be some kind of champion of the fallen man. I don't know if you've researched this. If you haven't, don't. It's not that interesting. But let me just mention it. Some people that worship Satan even make him to be a god over nature, like he is some naturalistic misunderstood being that really just wants our good. He wants our happiness. Maybe you've read the the epic poem in school, Paradise Lost. Did you, anybody read that but me? I am so sorry you had to read that. It's a horrible thing. Um, A great work in the sense of size and depth. It describes Satan's uh, heroic rise from hell and to make something out of this world he lives in into his new kingdom. It's not biblical by any means. Milton does this so well that some readers of Milton actually describe Satan being the hero that he lifts him up kind of out of his bootstraps, pulls himself up. He says, I'm going to make something out of this world. They point to Jesus as kind of a side character in that book, which is kind of crazy. But that's not how Jesus or Satan are described in Scripture by any means. So that's why we go here. Many Christians get confused about where Satan is right now. Something you may not know or you need to know is this. Satan has never been in hell and isn't in control of hell. Satan has never been in hell and isn't in control of hell now. This is something that Milton gets completely wrong. Satan is certainly not the prince or some kind of ruling king of hell as the world would make him out to be. Hell is always, always described in the Bible as something that God has prepared for the devil and his angels and that one day Satan will be sent there, although 
he and his angels are not there yet. His demons. One of the key sources of information that we find out about Satan's past comes from the Bible in the Old Testament looking at Ezekiel 28 there. So where does Satan come from? How did he get to be the devil, the enemy of God? Satan is described in Ezekiel 28 as being one who was created in the beginning. He was created, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. The lead worshiper in heaven, beautiful. He's also, it also tells us that Satan was once in Eden, the garden of God. Sound familiar? And that he was an appointed cherub, guardian cherub that God placed on the holy mountain of God. That he was perfect in all his ways from the day he was created until, this is the phrase, unrighteousness was found in him. Now, in the book of Isaiah, it it describes how Satan fell from grace due to his pride, his arrogant desire to replace God. In this passage, Satan declares his intention to ascend to heaven, raise his throne above the celestial bodies, and sit enthroned on the sacred mountain of God. He even expresses his ambition to surpass God himself by ascending above the clouds and making himself to be like God, replacing God. Now response, God tells Satan that his sin will lead to his ultimate downfall. That sin of pride and rebellion will send Satan eventually to the depths of the grave and pit, meaning hell. Now, in Ezekiel 28, Satan is not that heroic figure that Milton makes him out to be, but rather a fallen being. In its depiction that uh, should evoke horror or lead people to turn away from him. There's a reason that Jesus describes Satan these ways, in these terms in John 8.44. The devil has brought destruction, pain, And suffering to mankind since mankind fell in sin through Adam. We read about that in Genesis 3. Now, not long after that initial sin, we see the first murder happen, don't we? Cain kills his brother who? Abel. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 8, 44. That murder of Abel by his brother Cain was ultimately the first murder and that was conducted by Satan himself. Jesus says, that's the real culprit. Five chapters after John 8, we find that Satan entered Judas to betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders so that they could murder Jesus. All of Satan's history, listen to me, is written in blood. But it's not just there that we find deceit in Satan. Satan Satan even lied to Eve in the garden. She was deceived, wasn't she? Look what it says in uh, Genesis 3 verse 4. But the serpent, talking about Satan, said to the woman, You will not surely die, talking about eating the fruit. Satan lied to her about what God said. And he not only questioned God's goodness in what he said to them, the man and the woman, he outright contradicted God. And you and I are proof that he lied, our lives. We live in it. Because 
Adam and Eve did die. Initially, they died a spiritual death right away. They were cut off from God. They became spiritually dead. They could no longer commune in the garden with God. They fell from grace. And along with them, the entire created order fell. And because we are born into this fallen world, descendants of Adam and Eve, we, you and I, are born into sin. Morally corrupt. Nothing good in us. Adam and Eve, after a long, hard life, died physically. Just like all of us will. Unless Jesus returns, which I'm praying for. We read about uh, them all through the Bible. The sins that we all commit. Like 1 Kings 22, 21 through 23. When we're told about lying spirits or demons. When they went forth into the prophets of Ahab. Do you remember that? So that Ahab would go into the battle against the Syrians. And be slain at Ramoth Gilead. Uh, he even, we even read about it in the New Testament. Spiritual warfare. Acts 5, 3, we read about Satan entering into Ananias to cause him to lie to Peter about some property he sold, and he lied about the money. We certainly see Satan's lies at work today, don't we? Lies that people believe that bring pain and devastation. Like if you'll just follow what's in your heart, then you'll truly be happy. Baloney, your heart's messed up. So is mine. Lies to young men like they're really a woman inside. But they're just trapped in a man's body. But if they'll mutilate themselves, they'll find the real truth. That's a lie. Lies to little girls that if they'll cut their breasts off, take some male hormones, you'll be happy. Lies like if you're able to buy that house, That car, you'll be happy. Lies like all the other women, they're part of a group together. I'm on the outside at the church, but they're all, they have it all perfectly together, but not me. I struggle. Guys like, I don't need other brothers in Christ. I don't need to go to church every week. It's not like I'm, you know, supposed to be Jesus himself. Those are all lies. In in all those cases, it's like Satan wrote up a little contract and said, here's the lie I think you should believe. Don't you want to believe it? And he sits next to you, slides that. And and when you believe that lie, what you're doing is you're kind of signing on that piece of paper. You go, yeah, Satan, you're probably right. So I'll just live the way you say instead of the way Jesus says. Here's the thing, when Jesus calls out these religious leaders of the Jews in verse 44 of John 8 and tells them that they are children of Satan, that's no small thing. Jesus is telling the crowd, he's saying, look, these guys are evil, they're dangerous, don't follow them. But here's the good news, here's the good news. Jesus tells us that Satan is a limited creature. He tells us that Satan is not like God. Sometimes Christians get the wrong idea about God's power and Satan's power. We can sometimes think wrongly uh, of them more like a yin and a yang. You've seen this, haven't you? 
It's, it comes from, I think, Korea originally. It's Asian religion. It's a pagan symbol out there. You seen this? That's the wrong way to view the battle between God and Satan, between good and evil. Don't use this. You see, yin and yang are, it's the Star Wars kind of the force of the good versus equal. And it's like you have both and what you lean to, that's what you get. By the way, parents, we got to make discipleship in our home a top priority. I'm not saying don't watch Star Wars. I love Star Wars. What I'm saying is you've got to give them enough biblical truth that they can see. You go, oh man, that's a load of baloney right there. I know most Christians that know more, I know Christians that know more about Star Wars doctrine than they know about real doctrine. And it's not just Star Wars, is it? I mean, it's almost any movie plot between good versus evil. I mean, Marvel movies, I love them. Well, some of them. All right. It's this titanic struggle against good and evil. Who will win? And the tension in the story, the movie hinges on whether good will win or evil. Listen, Satan and God are not equals by any means. God isn't engaged in some cosmic battle against Satan and evil. Rather, it's humanity that is in the struggle. God's like, (laughs) I'll knock you out. Jesus tells us that Satan is a limited creature. He doesn't have the same power as God. And as a created being, Satan is subject to the sovereignty of a holy God. Remember, if God is sovereign, there can be no maverick molecules, as R.C. Sproul loves to point out, or created evil beings running around loose in the universe independent of God's decree. Now this messes some of your doctrines up in your life. But you need to understand God is omniscient, which means he knows everything that is and everything that could be and everything that will be. God is all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. He is limited. God is omniscient, which means he, he is everywhere all the time. And check this out, and yet near. That blows my mind. Satan is not omniscient. He can't be more, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Satan is not omnipresent uh, either. He can't be uh, in more than one place and at one time. Do you get that? While the verse in the Bible may not explicitly state it in verse 844, there is an implication that Satan has limitations. Now, for instance, John 844, Jesus says Satan's involvement in the first murder of Abel means that he has no foundation in the truth, he says. Being identified as a liar and the source of lies indicates a limitation in understanding as well. He doesn't understand everything. Satan doesn't. Jesus also says that Satan will face judgment, highlighting a limitation in his power. He cannot evade his judgment. It's important that we should be aware of Satan, his tactics, his lies, and heed the warnings that Jesus gives. But we should not fall into the habit of considering him as some equal counterpart or equivalent to God. Now, this is why this is worth thinking through today and why we are talking about it. If God 
is omniscient and knows all. Satan does not. And that means he does not know the future or when things will happen. So anything he says is just a guess. It's a very good guess, but just a guess. The devil knows the past. He knows history. He knows how you and I work and what we typically do as human beings. He knows our weakness, and he certainly capitalizes on those weaknesses. Therefore, therefore, Satan can make smart guesses and make plans based on what he knows happened in the past. But he doesn't know the future. Make sure that you understand Satan does not possess omnipotence. He does not possess omnipotence. Therefore, he is unable to carry out his desires. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. That means, look at this, Satan's actions are limited to what God allows. Now, this may mess up your doctrine here because we like the yin and yang. We like a God that's going, boy, I didn't mean that to happen, but you don't want that God. Satan's actions are limited to what God allows. Martin Luther had a way of saying it. He said it like this, Satan is God, Satan, meaning that he has to go to God for permission. Remember this truth. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves and desires. God is that powerful. That God is sovereign and we are not, and neither is Satan. Satan is a limited creature. A great example of this is seen in the story of Job. Job kept his faith in God, even though God permitted Satan to test Job, remove that protective barrier around him, Job didn't understand what he was going through, but he kept his faith in God that God was in control, even though he didn't know. God has specific reasons for allowing it and ensured that Job did not fall into sin. That's the point of Job. Here's something that might surprise you, might surprise you. Satan does not have the attribute of omnipresence. Satan does not have the attribute of of omnipresence. This may mess you up some. What that means is that Satan cannot be present everywhere simultaneously to tempt everyone. On the other hand, God is omnipresent and can assist and be with all those who call upon him all at once. That's easy for God. It's who God is. Satan can only tempt individuals one at a time or work through other fallen angels or demons that we refer to. These are the angels that joined with the devil in the rebellion against God. Now, because of this, it's interesting that Satan likely has never personally tempted you or any Christian you know. I've had people go, oh, yes, he has. Just saying, probably not. Even in the Bible, there are very few instances where individuals were directly tempted by Satan. Now, one of the problems is you go, but, but I wrestle with the sin. I go, that's because of the evil in your own heart too. 
that we're trying to kill our sin. We know that Satan tempted Eve, Judas. He tempted Christ Jesus. He tempted Peter. You remember that? Like we said earlier, Satan entered Ananias, causing him to lie about the land's price. And he entered Judas. We know that. However, these cases are limited because Satan is limited. He's a, here's a couple of instances where Satan uh, is at work in the Bible. There's a mention by the Apostle Paul being hindered directly by Satan himself in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Paul says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. In another instance, it was a messenger, not Satan himself, a messenger of Satan who afflicted Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, not Satan himself, to harass me and keep me from becoming conceited. By the way, who had allowed Satan to do that, to send a message? God had. What we're getting at is this. Christians should neither underestimate nor overestimate Satan and his tactics. This is what we have to understand. We don't want to underestimate. We face a real foe. All the demons are real foes. But we don't want to overestimate and say, well, Satan's everywhere all at once. Listen, if you thought that or said that, that's unbiblical. Stop saying that. Most importantly, believers must never lose focus on God, of who God is, because God is our source of strength. He is our fortress. In fact, God always provides a way of escape so that we can endure temptation. The apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation, talking about temptation to sin, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Someone say amen. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God sets boundaries for Satan and will never allow a Christian to be tempted beyond what they can handle. Now make sure that you understand this. There is a false teaching that is common that you read a lot on social media that says God will never give us more than we can handle. Baloney. I call uh, that baloney because every day is more than you can handle as a believer. You must go to God. You must rely on the Holy Spirit. I mean, God gives us tons of stuff we can't handle, and it drives us to depend on Him every day. But what this verse is saying is that God limits our temptation so that we can find the exit, the escape hatch. Notice it doesn't say that we should bear the temptation like, I think I got it. No, no, no. It's like Monty Python says, run away, run away. He bravely ran away, away. It's that kind of thing. Run away. Notice it doesn't say bear it out. It says run away. That God will always make 
a way of escape. That's a promise you can depend on. But the point I want us to get here today is that God sets the boundaries for Satan. And he will never allow a Christian to be tempted without that escape hatch. But what about Satan's future? What about Satan? As we read the words of Jesus as he tells the final judgment for those who do not trust him as Savior and Lord. Listen to this. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from you, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you see that last line? Hell's not meant for us. Although there's some hearing my voice that will spend eternity there unless you turn to Jesus. As for Satan, his ultimate fate is in the lake of fire. Shorthand, hell. There are two distinct paths that lay before us. We read this in Proverbs 14 verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So it's saying there's a way that seems right. So one path may seem right to us, but ultimately what does it lead to? Say it with me. Death. This is the path of Satan. It seems right. It seems good. It seems like it'll work. On the other hand, there's a path that leads to life. For Christ followers, Jesus tells, this, tells us this in Matthew 7, verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. This is, the, this is God's way. Life for a Christian is not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. Notice this difficult way It's narrow, it's hard, and few people find it. Most people are on what ACDC would say, on the highway to hell. Both both of those ways are presented to the world. On Satan's path, he makes enticing promises. Let's just be honest. It looks good and may seem right, at least on the surface. However, Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies and his words cannot be trusted. Satan may offer wisdom as he did to Eve in the garden. He promised her that that she, if she would sin, would be like God in the knowledge of good and evil. You know what's really sad and ironic about that? Eve was already like God. She had been made in the image of God. When she sinned, she became less like God. She died a spiritual death. This is Satan every time, every time. And the result of sin, every time, death. It pulls you away. Satan's, I'm not saying you lose your salvation, hear me. It just brings a little death into your life. Satan's wisdom leads to spiritual folly. He may offer love, but ultimately his kind of love is always death. His pleasant offers, such as kingdoms of the world, he said to Jesus, their glory result in torment for those who follow. And listen, it's easy to make agreements with the devil. Not even realize that you made them. Like worrying. It's one that I've made in the past. Not trusting that God will work in this situation even though I don't see how he could possibly work. 
when we worry, we're making an agreement with Satan, passing it back across the table and go, I'm with you, Satan. Let that sink in. In fact, that's true of any sin. On the other path stands Jesus. For Christ followers, those that have been born again, those that have been redeemed, Jesus' promises are the opposite of Satan's. Jesus may declare, you are blind, but he offers sight and wisdom for those that follow. He says, you're screwed up, but I'll give you life. His aim is to tell the truth of God and turn people away from sin. To draw them to himself with great love. That's Jesus. While he does warn about torment and speak more about hell than anyone else in the Bible, Jesus speaks more about hell and Satan. He offers joy and peace and fulfillment for those who follow him. Two paths. Satan or the path of Jesus. It's hard. The question is, as a believer, which one are you following? I mean, even if you're saved, you can be going, I don't want to follow Jesus. I'm going to go the easy way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, well, I did it. That's a hard one, God, to preach. But you put it in there. God, I, I pray for those right now that are feeling convicted, even me too, God, that you would help us identify where we have made agreements with the enemy, where we have sinned, where we've gone the easy way, and we didn't even realize it. But God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given us the truth of your word and that truth in Jesus' words right here in John eight forty four has been able to help us see where we're not following you. As you just continue to pray, Christian, if you would do this, if you would look at your own life, is there repentance that you need to make right now? Listen, you're saved, you're saved, your sins are forgiven, but you following Jesus, quit following the, own, uh, the other team. Follow Jesus. Start doing what the Bible says. You don't have to get re-saved. You're already saved if you're a Christian. Your sins are forgiven. But you pray right now for that. If you're not a Christian, look up here. What I said today, crazy sounding, right? And yet I would argue that's reality. Not what the world tells you. The question that you need to ask is, is Jesus what he said? He said he's the son of God. He, he said he came to save the world. If that's true or if it's not. If Jesus is the son of God and he's offered salvation for all those who would trust him in faith as savior and Lord. Not just, not just believe, I'm just like going, I believe there is God. And not just believe that he could save you if you followed him but to put all your eggs into one basket, to put all your hope into him and to say, I'm, I'm a sinner and I don't know how to save myself and I can't, but I trust you, Jesus. 
Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. That's what we do here as Christians on the, on the weekend. We gather here. We study all week on our own. And we, we come and we try to go, what did Jesus say in the Bible? What does the Bible say? How do we live this life? We'll help you figure that out. But right now, is Jesus who he claims to be? Is he the Lord? If he is, follow him. Follow him. Pray this. God, I I believe that you sent Jesus, your son, to save the world, to save me. I believe that his death on the cross has paid for my sin. And I don't know how, but I want to follow. So will you show me how to do that? Now listen to me. You are saved. Your sins are forgiven. Not because you were good enough. Not because you figured out. But because you have been raised to life by God himself. Called to life. It's called being born again. Born spiritually. So end your prayer like this. Well God I I love you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving your son to me. As a sacrifice for my sins. Giving him for me. Help me to follow him all my days. And God, show me how to live for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.